0: Welcome to 51 First
1: Dates. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And we are doing an experiment. And talking about dating. And love. Maybe. Yeah,
0: maybe. Maybe. Cheers. Cheers. Hi, everybody. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And welcome to 51 First Dates. (laughs) About dating without a tagline that I always get anxiety, I should just not say a tagline, but we're you know a podcast I about like, dating
1: <laughs> I think it's fun that we just have to figure this out every single time I like it. We are a podcast about dating and stuff that i I usually go back to that dating and yeah. stuff
0: dating and shit, dating and stuff. if we want to be polite here on the pod. uh thank you all for tuning in for listening tuning in am i forty Thousand years old um, for listening, for supporting us. We are so glad that you're back here on this fall day where the world is still falling apart, unfortunately, at least here on the West Coast. It's very,
1: very scary. How are you doing out there? I am doing the red skies.
0: Fine. With the red skies, I feel so terribly for everyone who is more impacted by this. I feel very scared about the climate change. It feels like, and again, this is just from LA, nothing has actually improved on this Monday where we're recording, um, but it, it feels better only here. It's just been a little tricky, and again, totally not a huge problem. Just one, you can't go inside other places because of COVID. Two, you can't go outside of your place because of smoke, and again, so fortunate I have a home. I have AC. It's just been – it's just really scary. And I've got to admit I've been going a little um, stir-crazy. It feels like early pandemic days again to me. Just like
1: – Yeah. It's really horrible. I mean, it's it's so scary. Uh, it's just so scary. I am have been seeing these news images and just like so worried for my friends on the West Coast. I hope that all of you listeners um, mm. out there on the West Coast are staying safe and doing okay. And um, yeah, I, I just like – God, I wish there was anything I could say that made it in any way, made anyone feel better. It's just really fucking scary.
0: It is. And honestly, I feel kind of like a dum-dum hearing you speak about it in the proper way. I was kind of like,
1: well, my weekend was impacted. No,
0: you're there. But, I
1: but, mean, <laughs> that's, what, that's what I asked you. I asked how you were doing. <laughs> no, you were but answering that's the my thing.
0: question. It's one of those things where… I am very glad it is as scary to people all over the country, or you know, people who believe in climate change. Uh, I'm I'm glad the images look as scary as they are. But depending on where you are in the West Coast, it's less or more scary. I am fortunate yeah. where I am; it is less scary. But it is even just like I saw you know yesterday the some football game. I just saw the screen showing L. A. The oh my god, can me use your words. The Rams football game. They just did the the big view of LA. You do when you're in a city showing, and it was like red sky. And again, we are not in the full thick of it here, so very yeah. scary. Please let us know if you are not okay, or if we can do anything to help you. And you're you're a listener because I know we have a lot of, especially like Pacific Northwest. Um,
1: yeah, and, and San Francisco listeners. Bay Area. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, we love you guys. I'm, I, yeah. I'm so sorry that this is happening, and um. I don't know, I'll remind everyone that you need to vote. You need to make a voting plan if you haven't. Um, I-, I think that if you feel safe, trying to vote in person is feels kind of important. Um, yeah, it's so, it is unceasingly frustrating to me that we are, you know, uh, shamed for not uh, being vegan for the earth or... I mean, again, no shade if you are vegan at all, um, but but we feel all this pressure to, like, reduce our meat intake and buy electric cars and do all this stuff, which, of course, we should be. We should all be good citizens of the planet. But, you know, there is that fun stat that's out there that 100 companies cause 71% of the carbon emissions on Earth. And, yeah, only way we can fucking change that at all is by voting and, yep. and trying to be really active about it. I wish I had anything smart to say. It's so frustrating.
0: Well, last week we talked about signing up to poll work and keeping
1: each other accountable. Um, did you sign up? <laughs> I didn't. You said that I didn't. I'm going to do it right now. Here's here's the thing. If I haven't done it by the time this episode gets released, I will donate um, $100 to <laughs> something.
0: Well, I was I was pausing. I also haven't done it, so fuck me. But I will. T- <laughs> we didn't I wasn't sure. Being
1: accountability partners. <laughs> I was trying
0: to figure out where I would be. Not again, pandemic. But there may be a chance I end up back on the East Coast for a chunk of time, um, for hmm. some family things. And if I do that safely, it will involve quarantining sometime around the election again in the same situation. So I wasn't sure if I'd be here, but I think I definitely will be. What I did do, though, was check on my voter registration status, and it was all updated to my new address. That was my big fear. And in California, they automatically mail you your ballot. So I haven't received it yet, but I do plan on voting early, and I will sign up to be a poll worker. We're young, healthy. We can put ourselves at risk, not the poor little old ladies. Yes, who
1: usually I'm doing it tonight. I promise everyone it will be done uh, by the time this app is out. Um, There's also
0: I want – there's one more thing I signed up to do. I'm going to brag about how <laughs> active I've been. I haven't. But really easy. I think, unfortunately, they're sold out right now. But there's something called the Sunrise Movement. And they're doing postcard writing. I think it's been proven to be really mm-hmm. effective to motivate people by writing handwritten postcards. So I signed up and they're going to send me 100 postcards. I just went on the website. Right now, they've sold out of their inventory um, Within one day of launching. So my postcards aren't even here yet. But I guess now they're, they're asking people to chip wow. in even just $3 to buy more postcards. So you can go to sunrisemovement.org. And I'm sure there's a wait list. Again, I apologize that I'm doing this kind of live on air. But they send you postcards. And you don't pay for shipping, postage, anything. And then they give you all the instructions. And you write notes to young voters. They're targeting young voters and motivating them to vote. Wow, I just said vote so many times. But it felt like a tangible thing I could do. It seems like there's a little bit of a, a backlog, but go donate if you can.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Sunrise Movement is so cool and like a donation to them um will you know what? I'm gonna donate I'm gonna donate to them anyway, even if I don't sign up for voter registration. I'll donate donate to them tonight and sign up and I will maybe I'll post it in the Facebook group. Yeah, we'll prove post. that I did it. Totally. We'll link it. That's also really cool because it supports the post office, in theory, if they're paying for postage. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: I think it's all through the USPS, which is great. And I'm just so impressed with, you know, all the amazing humans doing so much more for the world than I. Uh, But, alas, this is, yeah, not Pod Save America, so we can move on to dating, which is the topic
1: of this podcast, (laughs) believe it or not. You know, if you're not political right now, then you should be i think i think we can do it i don't yeah. know we can do it we've, we've, <laughs> always, we've always done
0: it it's that's actually the fucking least we can do okay but yeah, we have I'm never get added but i'm sorry if you guys hate this do <laughs> you know what if you hate this you have to suck it up because we we need help <laughs> whatever you can do okay um we have a very exciting episode though i am genuinely i haven't I mean, we just had Mike Johnson on. That was very exciting. But I haven't been this excited, like, just because the conversation was so amazing in a minute,
1: Liza. Yes, I I loved this guest. I could have talked to him for 12 hours and kind of wanted to. Um, But uh, yeah, yeah, I think he he is important. Capital I important doing important work. Yes, if you
0: are a regular listener of this podcast, you heard me drone on and on about the happiness class I was taking in grad school, looking at the science of happiness and taking tangible steps to become a happier person. Uh, so today we have on an expert in positive psychology, Coach Rob Mack. He is unbelievable. He's a celebrity happiness coach as well, an executive coach, an author. He studied under Martin Seligman, who's like, who's the founder of Positive Psychology, but really like yeah, it's it's like the Freud of this whole study of happiness as a science. I, I don't know if Freud's the perfect reference, but, you know, just it's Rob Mack knows so much about the science of happiness and how to apply it to your life. And he's also just an incredibly amazing human and person to talk to. He is Oprah endorsed. Um, I just love bragging about that, even though it's I'm not Oprah endorsed. I just think that's really cool. If Oprah endorses you. Wow.
1: Yes. I mean, I would wake up every single day feeling 75% better about my existence.
0: (laughs) I know. And truly, I think we talk about everything from just, you know, what misconceptions around happiness are, which just feels so relevant at this time where a lot of people are probably not feeling their happiest. You know, we talk about his journey to his career and to studying the psychology of being positive and the science of happiness. We talk about dating, obviously, and how that relates to all of this. And I just, I think there's such, he he was so generous to share with us these really great exercises and, you know, ways to actually incorporate
1: happiness and the science of happiness, I should say, into your life. Completely. We talked to him a couple days ago and I've told like no less than five people about him and his work and the exercises he talked about. Like, I just think it's so relevant and Yep, especially now when everyone who everyone I think right now is having a mental health crisis sort of. I mean, that's that maybe is um I don't know. I don't want to devalue anyone who is struggling more significantly, but I think mm-hmm. that these times have been really challenging for a lot of people who haven't maybe learned to take care of their mental health or who haven't struggled before and it can feel really um, overwhelming, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with him. Yeah, and you <laughs> like know creepy. what else? Oh, that sounded creepy saying it like oh, that. Yeah, we. I'm obsessed with his work. He's a very smart person. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I just, it's, I, and I'll gush about this in our interview with him, you know, because we are the smoothest interviewers ever. Uh, but I just, I love that this kind of approach to happiness slash wellness, you know, in quotation marks which has so many connotations now. This is all rooted in science, and that makes it so appealing to me and tangible and exciting.
1: Um, yeah, I just like science, so.
2: <laughs> I
0: don't know. Completely.
1: <sighs> I'm like when someone gives me some some studies to back up some shit, I'm like, it, it feels really good.
0: And I will just add, um, just at the very top of our conversation with Rob, we do, as a trigger warning, talk about suicide briefly um, and so if you, you know, just if you want to skip on into the episode a little bit more, um, we can we can share the time code below. Right, Liza?
1: Yes, okay. I will absolutely do that. And I'll share the time code in and the sh- time code out so you know exactly. Oh, no, I'll I'll share. Yes, the time code in and the time code out. Yeah, then you can um, just skip over it. But yes, completely. Uh,
0: uh, yeah, again, I'm so, so excited. And if you found us through Rob Mack, thank you for
1: being here. I keep calling him Rob Mack. <laughs> Rob, Coach Rob Mack. Um, well, it's because it's catchy. Here. It's that one-syllable last name thing where it's like, yeah. I feel like everyone I know who has a one-syllable last name, I always want to call them by their first and last name. A
0: hundred percent. Yep. You know, and I I just, you know, Rob is my friend now. We'd had one conversation, but <laughs> Rob was amazing and we are so excited to have anyone new here uh yeah so Liza before we get to the interview shall we do Mm -hmm. a quick consumption corner if you're new here let's do it we have been doing consumption corners and then we'll do a quick listener question and then we will dive into Rob's amazing um conversation with us well he was amazing we
1: were fine (laughs) um Yeah. Oh, my God. Sorry. I just zoned out because I was trying to think of what the fuck I've been consuming this week. And I don't know. I have some. Okay, great. My highbrow Anna Karenina New Yorker bullshit continues. Wow. Um, Yeah. But also there has been some pretty lowbrow stuff. Like I'm getting pretty deep into selling Sunset. Ooh, Liza.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
1: (laughs) We haven't talked about this yet. It's phenomenal trash it's so good it's so so, i love the highly polished absolutely staged like basically i think everyone is just an actor like Mm -hmm. i'm obsessed with it it's so it's if you don't know this show yet it's on netflix they just released their third season like in the last month or so and it's, it's it's real estate agents selling these really expensive beautiful homes mostly in the hollywood hills and it is such hot garbage, but it's so sleekly produced and everything and everyone is beautiful. And, like, there's so much drama and it's so orchestrated. Like, if you think stuff like Keeping Up With Kardashians or Bachelor is orchestrated, like, multiply that by 10. Like, it's almost scripted, I think. But I yeah, just can't it's, get enough. Sorry to interrupt. Um, It's the Not producer
0: of The Hills and... Uh, Laguna Beach like so it's got that gloss I think that's why that makes
1: total sense I didn't know that yeah oh I'm glad you didn't know that okay sorry sorry to interrupt that's (laughs) incredible yeah I mean I just love it so much and it's so funny because the person who recommended it to me is is Jeff my fiance's best friend who's like the last person in the world I would think would like this he's like a, a just a like, dude, he he's, like, it's so, I can't even think of, like, what he likes th- that makes me think it's off-brand, but it's so off-brand. But he t- was texting about it on, like, a group text thread that we're on, and I was like, what? Like, he likes this show, and I just started watching it because I couldn't figure out what to watch before bed, and I've been crushing it. It's just so good.
0: And, I mean, the Chriselle storyline is incredibly upsetting and compelling, as much as this show is. Fake as fuck. There, you know, there are real life events involved in yes. the latest season that, that are, you know, very difficult to watch. Dramatic. I have a really hard time watching. Um yeah. Yeah. But extremely Liza, dramatic. We should do a Patreon or something, especially yes. Well, I don't know when more will come out. But it I think just yeah, having that glossy production value, you know, plus real estate plus like drama was just exactly what we all needed at this point in quarantine and shout out to Netflix yeah. for delivering.
1: Yeah, completely. I mean, so great. Um so that's been mostly I have been literally bouncing back and forth between my my reading which I finally got back into and watching Selling Sunset. <laughs> and I mean, it's great.
0: It's beautiful. You know, you just balance that life. I think I'm sitting somewhere in the middle. That's generous. No, I'm it's still lowbrow in terms of my recent consumption. Um it's a lot of consumption, though I still don't have proper internet. Been hotspotting, figured out a way to hotspot like an entire series. Uh, Liza, I'm, I'm embarrassed. And this was a show I really didn't think I was going to like, but heard enough people say, oh, this is good. This is good. I watched Love Life on HBO Max with Anna Kendrick. Ooh. So, oh. yeah. It's very. Okay. So I. Anna Kendrick bothers me. It looked cheesy. It's a show all about dating. Each episode is kind of a different moment or relationship from her life. It The early episodes are so New York dating, I was being way too self-congratulatory, and I kept saying to Tony, this looks like psychodrama. Okay, so backstory. Liza and I, once upon a time, 2012, 2013, made a web series that did okay for a brief moment on the internet about dating in New York and therapy. And there are just some scenes where I'm like, because it jumps back and forth in time, like the, the 2012 scenes, I was like, we made these scenes much worse, of course. But I was just like, this feels like what we would have made
1: if we were better at it. Oh, my God. It's funny. OK, so I just Googled Google image searched basically this show. And like, I absolutely see what you mean. Mm-hmm. It looked like that's really, really cool and funny. OK, I'm excited to watch. It's that. also. I, yeah. And again, I thought
0: it was going to be trash. And then I we started watching and it was like they, they even though Anna Kendrick will never cease to not bother me. They got certain things so right about, you know, waiting for a text or, I don't know, hanging on to certain relationships. They, they got a lot right. A lot is like still very Hollywoody, y uh, but it was so much better than I thought. I had very okay. little interest, but I had heard enough people say it's actually kind of good. Not good good, but I think if you want to watch a show about dating that's relatable, it's exactly that uh some some episodes more than others (laughs) some of her relationships i'm like i have never had that situation with that kind of fancy older man but sure go for it um it's very new york so that was fun my other oh oh, gosh it's like i just can't consume anything of quality i also started on hbo max maybe because it's like the one app that we have properly logged in and we're able to hotspot. but um the selena gomez cooking show (laughs)
1: Oh, my God. How is it? I don't know. So I – okay.
0: So, all right. Bear with me here. I'm – this was not targeted to me. Whatever consumer research they did, I was not part of that. Um, I don't know much about Selena Gomez at all other than, you know, what she does and that she dated Justin Bieber, which is, you know, problematic. I know that it's the tabloid version. And I – but I saw some of the chefs, um, including Nancy Silverton – Silverton? Silverton.
1: Oh yeah. You're, oh my god, I love. love her. Um yeah. I loved her um her Chef's Table episode so much. She's such a feminist hero.
0: Yes. So it's she's on um John and Vinny from John and Vinny's Lots of LA Chefs, but not only LA. It was just really a fun set of chefs and basically the premise is Selena Gomez in her new house in her kitchen very quarantine like so they have cameras set up. They kind of pretend there's not really a producer in the room. Um, or there's not, but there's clearly a producer, you know, setting up all these cameras. And then the chef in their kitchen, and then they teach her how to cook. And I guess here's why I watched more than one. For me, yeah, the first chef was, chef was Ludo, and he was incredibly entertaining. He had, like, petit toit here in L.A., but he's French, and it was, like, really funny watching them try to communicate. Not really funny, but again, just, like, easy to watch and kind of entertaining. But I think what I ended up liking the most about it, why I kept watching, because Selena Gomez has like her little her grandparents that live with her in quarantine, and then her her friends and like, are they assistants or friends? I just got more fascinated by like watching this celebrity, this pop star. just like it felt like a, I was like a voyeur into her home, and that was mm. fascinating to me. I think I'm giving it way too much credit, but like, if you're looking for easy, light, semi-entertaining like. I also fascinating just there was like sometimes where she'd get really frustrated and I was like that makes sense for someone who's probably like look at her success she's probably a perfectionist or whatever I don't want to call her anything but each episode also she was donating $10,000 to the charity of the chef's choice so it was all like very quarant- early quarantine kind of content but I don't know I like I also I'll just share that I watched that and
1: then let me know if it's terrible and I shouldn't be sharing that. I'm on board with the like voyeurism into people's homes. Like I love that about quarantine content in general. Like I watched the the 30 Rock special that they made in quarantine mm. and they clearly were filming at like Alec Baldwin's Hamptons house. I mean they everyone was just filming themselves. They did a little quick thing at the end of like making of and you know you so you saw like Alec Baldwin's house and Tracy Morgan's house and Jen Krakowski's apartment and like I was just I, knowing these people were filming this like fictional thing in their homes like the special was funny but that was the thing where I was like I love seeing these moments of celebrity homes or when people do zoom interviews on you know the late night shows or whatever it's for whatever reason like incredibly fun and exciting to see these people in in their natural habitat
0: mm, yeah I that it's it is and just like then I googled her house and like was like that really her house so it was really her house also Liza the editor does a fine job there are some really funny little like moments they don't you know when she messes up or something but I thought you would do an incredible job editing that show so just watch one episode and maybe like I think you have the funny like lower thirds or like they try to do some funny stuff but I think you would have crushed it that was my other thought that I had while watching it I said out loud I said Liza
1: should have edited this also shout mm, out! To oh my gosh, I want to watch. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so basic. I'm basic. In two what shows, are you talking I am about. Basic. I just talked about selling Sunset for such a long time, and like, I I the shows I've watched in quarantine are so are such hot smelly disgusting garbage that like that really is not bad. All right. Yeah, but it's I weird how
0: like they're not. It's almost. I feel like there's it's really acceptable to do what you're doing. There are a lot of cool people I listen to who still watch Real Housewives, like Z-Way, you know? I like pe- cool, cool people in culture are still obsessed, obsessed with hot garbage television, or like Nicole Byer and 90 Day Fiancé. But like when it comes to these in-between shows that are just fucking basic, you don't hear as much about them. But I'm, you know what? I had to admit it, it hit the spot
1: for me this weekend. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. No. uh, Look, we all need what we need in core. I think it's completely fine. Well, yeah. And it's
0: dating related. You know, you know, we can move on. Okay. Should we do our listener question, Liza, and then get into Rob's interview?
1: Let's do it.
0: Okay. This is kind of a broader uh, listener question slash I think great topic. I just relate to it so much. So That stage where you're dating and it's not a relationship yet and your parents don't know you are dating because you will only inform them when it's a serious relationship. What excuses slash stories do you come up with for telling your parents when they ask you what you've been doing? What do you plan on doing? Why do you need to leave something early? Do you come up with stories or excuses and what are they? Don't you feel bad at some point? You aren't telling the truth. Thinking about this right now, I don't want to say, uh, who and when I am dating, but telling different stories does not feel good either at the moment. So I think I'll just kind of TLDR that. In early stages of dating, and it sounds like this listener could even be living with family during quarantine, but generally, and this would happen to me in New York. It would be like I had plans to like go to a concert later with a guy I was seeing. So like at dinner with my parents, you know, do I share that or not? When do you tell your parents you're dating someone if you're not like seriously dating them?
1: Yeah, this is such a great question. I feel like uh, I've struggled with this because, uh, I don't know, look, the, the most uh, evolved version of me wants to say, like, just be like, oh, I have a date and it's not serious. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just going on a date with a guy and answer the questions that come up and then just be like, but it's not serious. Like, I'm just you know, I'm dating. I'm a person who dates. Like, I think that if you demystify it, it can be, you can have the opportunity to be honest, which I think is always the best choice, right? Like, to be able to just tell the truth. That being said, I am completely guilty of not telling my parents I was dating someone until it got really serious because partially I didn't, I have, I have done this with my parents before where, like, I don't want to feel like I'm letting them down. And I, and I don't want to tell them about something not working out. I want to show them, like, a sunnier side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, I think you can say just say you have plans with a friend.
2: Yeah. Is
1: that yeah, really
0: a lie. I don't think you have to worry about lying. Yes, Liza. Sorry to interrupt. But I agree with that. I don't think it's, like, lying. Don't worry about morally being you know it's not about their feelings in terms of like a little white lie like this it's just about what you're comfortable sharing. Yes. I think for me I relate to this so much because I was single for so long but I it got to the point where I was kind of like no family it's not that nobody loves me or I'm like undateable like I am dating I'm just not dating anyone serious so at a certain point I think I started sharing bit by bit maybe it wasn't as evolved as I'm going on a date it's not serious I'd be like oh I have plans and then it would be with who well finally I'd get more and more comfortable because I think like with my mom it was one thing sharing with my dad who I'm pretty close to it just was baby steps you know throughout my 20s Sharing a little bit more, especially because if you are down or get your heart broken and then are, say, at your parents' home for a holiday, which definitely happened to me, it's hard to be in a really dark place and not share with them at all that that's not about them or it's about about some dude, which is sad. But I don't know. I think – I don't think you have to be honest if it makes you totally uncomfortable or if it makes your parents totally uncomfortable. But if you want to share more the way I did, just to be like, it's not that I'm not trying. Uh, I think it's a baby steps thing. Like, so very small. Yeah, I have plans. Who with? Oh, this person I met. Like, I remember the first time I talked about Tinder with my parents. Um, This podcast really opened things up quite a bit. Uh, Yeah, it's tricky.
1: Yeah, it's super tricky. And the, the trickiest thing about this is, like, everyone has such a unique relationship with their parents. So it's really hard to answer this question um generally because you know some people's parents are um uh, down on them dating for cultural reasons some people's parents like they can't share with because dating is uh is you know not something that is like acceptable in their household like lots of people have everyone's relationship with their parents is completely unique I will say that in general like if you aren't sharing with your parents because you feel uncomfortable sharing with them I think it's probably important to ask why like why you feel uncomfortable and exactly like you said Kimmy like to take baby steps to be like oh I'm just dating I'm just been like going you know going on dates trying to get out there I'd like to have a relationship so I'm just dating I'm going on a date. And also, I think it's totally okay to tell your parents when you don't want to talk about something. I think, like, if they end up asking about it a lot more or you feel uncomfortable or you feel, like, put on the spot or, like, they're looking for certain results from your dating life and it's putting pressure on you, I think Mm -hmm. you can be like, guys, I don't want to talk about this. It's putting pressure on me and, like, it's stressing me out. Yeah. And, like, you know, I think you can take some of those steps and kind of explore sharing with them. That being said, if you don't have a good relationship with your parents or if your parents, if you don't want to tell your parents you're dating for other reasons that I haven't even touched on, you super don't have to. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think you can start, you know, saying really general things like I'm going to dinner with a friend. I'm going to have drinks with a friend. I'm going, you know, they ask you what friend, you know, you can just lie. (laughs) Like, yeah, you know, I I never want to tell anyone to lie, but. It, I understand that there are p- reasons, many and complicated reasons that people lie to their parents.
0: Yes. And I think you bring up an excellent point, Liza. It's so dependent on your parents. And a lot of the comments and response actually we're talking about, you know, my it's tricky, the, the, being worried that you introduce the idea of you seeing someone casually to your parents and then they follow up on that. They ask you about that. They put some pressure on it. Um Interestingly, someone in the comments said they ran into their dad on a second date and then their dad found out they, their date was into golf and then he was like really attached to the idea of how did that work out and I thought that was a very um, entertaining version of this. But I think, yeah, parents can, if, if you have parents who put pressure on, it can be stressful to bring anyone up to them, especially if they don't really let it go and it ended poorly or you, it's, it's so tricky. I've said tricky eighteen times, but I yes. I think it's it absolutely has to do with what you're comfortable with. But to Liza's point, you do not have to share if you don't want to. If you're like, oh boy, here comes like my very interested mother is going to ask me about this every day now, and, and you're living with her for quarantine, like yeah, maybe 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 not. Um, if you're living with your mom for quarantine though, be careful totally. about dating.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it just, I think, I I do want to totally validate that it can be difficult to manage your, um, your own, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, your, like, insecurities and feelings around dating and your parents, like, your feelings around your dating life and your parents' feelings around your dating life. I can totally understand that sometimes it's just easier to manage only your feelings around your dating life and just take the parents feelings out of the equation. Um I have that's absolutely the reason I I would I didn't really ever tell my parents when I was dating someone until it was like a full on relationship. Um mm-hmm. and I did that because I had insecurities around dating and if i was lovable and if i was dateable and if anyone liked me and if they were going to break up with me out of nowhere and i just decided to like keep my focus on my feelings around it and i probably wasn't giving my parents enough credit they're very chill and i think it would have been fine but i just needed to keep that space and protect that so i also want to say like that's totally fine if you need to you know just keep it general and say you're hanging out with friends or whatever
0: yeah it's interesting too. This came up um about this came up in my relationship the other day. We were just talking and in New York, I never introduced my family to anyone I ever dated because it wasn't super serious ever until Tony, and that took some time. I just feel like once you get out of college, you're not introducing your parents to if you're introducing them to someone and I know this isn't is a little bit um adjacent to the question, but He was just really shocked I had not introduced my parents to anyone. And I was like, no, that would have been a wild thing for me to do. So many expectations. Like, no one was my actual serious boyfriend. So I wasn't going to put them in touch with my
1: family in any way, shape, or form. I don't know. It's just totally. And there's so much heaviness around. Not heaviness, but, like, meeting the parents is, like, such a thing. I wish it weren't. Like, it doesn't seem like it needs to be this thing where we go and we meet, we sit down, we have dinner. Like I just think it could be more mellow than that. Yeah. Um yeah. But it's but yeah.
0: It, it once you're out of college or high school or places where parents come visit you in like a shared community, I think it it becomes this this big thing and it just reminds me of this. How much do I want to share with my parents about my dating life? Um
1: so totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it gets way harder when you live either when you live in the same town or when you live with your parents or when you're staying with your parents because of COVID. It's like that. It makes it really, really difficult to separate. But, you know, it's also totally fine to to tell tell them even tell your parents what you need. Yeah. Of like, Hey, I'm going on dates, but I kind of need to not talk about it because honestly, it's stressing me out. So, like, I'll let you know when there's something to report you know, yes. and hope that they can respect that.
0: A hundred percent. I think that's, that's perfect advice. Um, great. Well, let's get into our interview with Rob. If you haven't already, please follow Rob. Follow us at Five First Dates Pod on Instagram. Join the secret Facebook group, 51 First Dates Podcast secret group. Just Google that in Facebook And if you would not mind taking a brief pause to quickly rate, review, and subscribe, that really helps us out. We have such amazing guests like Rob uh, because of all of you who, you know, review us and keep, you know, keep reviewing us so that it looks like we've had recent great reviews. It really, it just makes people much more confident about coming on. So thank you in advance for doing that. And thank you to all of you who have supported us along the way already
1: completely. We love you guys so much. And we will have a very quick ad break and be back with our interview with Rob Mack.
0: Great. We are so excited to have Rob Mack here. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to chat.
2: I'm so excited to be here. This is awesome.
1: Thank thrilled you so to much. have you. We're, yeah, we're so excited. We are, um, you're dealing with our technical difficulties. You are <laughs> putting up with all my cord switching. Everyone listening, I'm sorry that I sound like I'm on the phone. My recorder wasn't working, but we're thrilled to chat with Rob today. He is a positive psychology expert. He is... Um, Oprah a, a, endorsed. That's what <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Oprah certified. And I was like, that's not the word I'm no. looking for. Okay. Endorsed is the word. Um, But we're thrilled to have you, and we're going to talk about all kinds of things, happiness, positivity related. But before we get started, we always like to ask, do you have a worst first date story?
2: Boy, it's such a great question. I think everyone does. Um, For me, the worst dates are always the ones that I don't know are dates. (laughs) you get invited, and you just show up, and you're hanging out, and then you realize, oh, wait, this is actually supposed to be a date, you know? And so, um, you know, I've gotten better about that, making sure that I'm clear in advance. But yeah, I don't, really, I haven't had any really horrific other experiences. I know like lots of people have had like near-death experiences and all that. But for me, the worst dates are always the ones that I don't know I'm on. <laughs>
1: yeah, totally fair. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I feel like that's always that's such a thing, especially in modern dating. I don't know. I don't know how you would classify modern, but the last you know, twenty years or so. When so much of early dating is so casual, um, I've I've had a couple of those situations too, where like half an hour and you're like, oh, oh, this. I, don't know, I feel like I got duped <laughs> or something. Yeah, I'm, totally.
0: I'm lightly worried. I've been on the other end of that. Not that I've tried to trick people into dates, but I've been like, yeah, let's hang out, friend, who I have a crush on. <laughs> let's see a movie. Oh, I've
1: definitely I did been that. on that end. I've been mean, on both ends. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I think we've been on both. I've, I've definitely been on the on the other end too. I, I'm sure of it. And then you know, you're never really always that clear unless you have probably had way too many drinks. You're never clear if you have let on too much that like you thought it was a date and they didn't, mm-hmm. or vice versa. You know, I mean, I, so, so it's um, yeah, it's always interesting. I think dating in the modern era, as you put it.
0: Yeah. Yes. It's uh, we love talking about it here. <laughs> it's it's a wild land. Okay, but. Let's talk about you and your work because I am like fangirling out a little bit. Listeners of this podcast heard me talk a lot about my science of happiness class and you are a positive psychology expert. You know, how did you find your way into both your academic career, which is so impressive, but also your career as a coach and author now?
2: Yeah. Oh, you check. So I'm definitely going to have to Venmo you after the you know, But um, I got there the hard way, like the long scenic route. I was an unhappy kid, like really unhappy, and um, I feel like I was born depressed almost. I don't know if anybody out there, you know, that resonates with anyone, but I felt that way. And I always just thought and assumed I'd grow out of my unhappiness, but that didn't happen. At least like not right away. I just became more and more depressed, quite frankly. And um, despite doing pretty well, like academically and athletically, and even had a girlfriend at some point, right? And I thought, oh, that's, that'll solve it. And I was quickly, dis- you know, used of that idea. Um, that depression grew into like clinical depression, and I became deeply suicidal. So I was suicidal for, you know, I feel like two, it was about two decades, at least two decades. And uh, you got to the point where I began to research suicide. And, um, uh, you know, I was beginning to think about suicide dozens of times a day. And I got to a place where I decided to finally do it. Researched the means and methods to do it. Didn't want it to be violent. You know, I didn't want to be in a lot of pain either. So I decided I would slit my wrist Went to the kitchen, got a kitchen knife and, um, you know, dug it into my wrist. Um, But the strangest thing happened, you know, at that moment, you don't expect a whole lot. Um, And in that moment that I was like digging this knife into my wrist, I felt this like inexplicable peace and Bliss and love kind of wash over me, and I couldn't make a whole lot of sense of it in the moment. Um, So I decided that I would like postpone the suicide. And at the time, I only committed to postponing it for one hour. (laughs) Like that sounds like you know barely any time, but for me at at that moment, it was like a lifetime. It felt like forever. And so I did some research around depression, suicide, happiness, and I found out that I wasn't alone. And so that hour of postponing suicide, blood or in the pun into you know beyond that, several hours, several days. And now I look back over two decades later. And uh, you know it's hard to imagine that I was at such a deep, dark, depressed place in my life, but it's true. So at that point, you, know, once I started the research, before long, I found this program at University of Pennsylvania. It's an applied positive psychology program. It's the science of what makes life worth living, and you know The rest is sort of history.
0: Yeah. I mean, thank you for sharing. And sorry, you know, that you went through that. And I think, like, you know, broadly, I know there was, you know, National Suicide Awareness Day this week. And I do think we don't pay enough attention to mental health generally and then specifically when it comes to suicide. And I think it's I mean, it's really powerful how it's really what you've turned that into ultimately. Uh, Yeah.
2: It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's when you're going through something, it's just so easy, of course, to be lost in it and be complaining and upset, as you should be. It's very natural. Um, You know, but the worst things of my life have always turned out to be the best. And sometimes the best things or seemingly best things have always turned out to be the worst. So it is ironic in a way that, like, this incredible, incredibly painful problem turned into such deep purpose for me, you know, Um, because at the same time I was going through all that part of what I was really asking for deep inside was I wanted to have purpose in my life. And it's interesting how my purpose was, you know, poorly packaged in this deep pain and suicidal ideation.
0: Yeah. I guess I'm curious. um, When you kind of look back and look at how you first turned this into an academic career, but then your career now as a coach, um, I guess what inspired you to start your own business? I'm not sure. Okay, maybe we should frame it up as for those of us listening who are less familiar with what you studied, maybe we can talk about positive psychology and the science of happiness first and then like potential career paths and how you, you were very entrepreneurial in yours. You've had yeah. such success,
2: yeah. I, I love the way your mind works, um, I, truly. Like, um, So you know, positive psychology is the study and science of what makes life worth living. It's really this study in science- of happiness okay and the ways in which happiness actually interestingly enough leads to success and actually facilitates success and the ways in which success by and large doesn't lead to happiness um and so you know it is a field and a study and a science that was developed out of the university of pennsylvania by a guy named martin seligman martin seligman is like the you know grandfather the godfather of positive psychology he initially started his work as a psychologist studying learned helplessness and depression and he had always assumed that if you just remove what's wrong with people if you remove the mental illness if you remove the mental dysfunction you'll get happy healthy thriving individuals and over decades of research he eventually found that that wasn't the case you could remove everything that's wrong or seemingly wrong with a person but you don't get a happy person you mostly get a flatlining person and so he you know basically coined this term in this field and found in this field of positive psychology And so it's based on thousands and thousands of studies and decades of research that proves what happiness is, what it isn't, what leads to it, what doesn't lead to it. And so um, that's what my master's in applied positive psychology is really all about.
0: Yeah. And then I think from there, you know, what was the impetus to really turn that into coaching? I don't know if that's super common. My exposure was like very academic, but I'm just curious because I think it's really impressive. Like, we need more people like you to be bringing this kind of science based, I don't want to call it wellness. I don't know if you call, yeah, yeah. call it wellness, but just, yeah.
2: Wellness. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's, it's wellness, it's subjective well being, right? I mean, that's sometimes mm-hmm. the words that we use um, in the positive psychology field. And, you know, quite honestly, it was selfish. I think, like, <laughs> I just wanted to be happy, man. Like, I just wanted to be happy. And I was like, if I'm going to be alive, I want to be you know, alive in a blissful, happy, healthy, peaceful way, you know, or I don't want to be alive at all. So initially it was just me wanting to be happy. And, you know, at the time I was working for a consulting firm. I was working kind of, you know, um, as an executive coach, um, you know, to a large extent, and I didn't particularly like the work, you know, and that also contributed to me, you know, being so miserable. And as I continued doing research, you know, positive psychology at that time didn't exist. And so I just kept reading everything I could read, on cognitive behavioral therapy and like, you know, existential therapy and all these, you know, kind of different fields within this broader um, umbrella under this broader umbrella of psychology. And eventually I found this applied positive psychology program, but really it was never with an intention to become a coach. It was mostly with intention just to be truly happy. But what happened was that people started to notice a little bit that I seemed like I was happier and I seemed like I was doing better. And at some point when I was going to business school, I was putting myself through business school by doing like a lot of like partying, quite frankly. (laughs) You know, (laughs) throwing parties, whatever. And I was also doing modeling and acting. And so along the way, I had met a few folks that were, you know, well-known figures in the entertainment business. And they were always asking me, you know, hey, Rob, what are you working on? Why are you always writing, you know, like in the trailer or whatever? And I would always say, well, I'm tracking what works for me in terms of happiness and what doesn't. And the stuff that works, I keep, and the stuff that doesn't, I throw away. And so long and short of it is that that journal eventually became a book, Happiness from the Inside Out. As people kept asking me more and more about happiness and I started talking to them about it, I was like, well, it sure would be nice to get paid <laughs> for this work yep. as well. So it kind of all came together um, kind of slowly and mostly organically. Um, but I just had a deep selfish intention to be happy, quite frankly.
1: No, I love it. It's- I mean, that's not selfish. I, like, I, like, I think it's the most... Right. Across all of humanity, human history, et cetera, I think it's the most like common basic desire everybody has. It's like there's so many paths for everyone to get there. And I think so many people get lost in those paths. But that's I think like if you ask anyone what they want, like I want to be happy. I love you
2: saying that. And I agree.
1: Okay, cool. I was like, I was like, I'm saying this like I know you have a degree
2: in this, so please <laughs> tell know, me. You do. We all.
1: I was a psych minor back in the day, and I don't remember anything. So you <laughs> can tell me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have moments where I'm like, I know something about this, and you're gonna be like, Nope, incorrect. Yeah. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about happiness. I, I feel like so many people. We'll talk about how happiness relates to dating in a little bit, but in very broad terms, what do you think are misconceptions about happiness? Everyone's kind of on this hunt to figure out happiness. And a lot of people I think don't know what they're doing, myself included a lot of the time. What do you think is the difference between knowing what you're doing and not knowing what you're doing? What are people doing wrong? What are people doing right that you see a lot of?
2: Yeah. So such a great question. And I can speak well to this because I was the poster boy for doing it all wrong. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I, I say that, that the primary hurdle to experiencing happiness is believing that it exists outside of you somewhere in the future, probably in something or somebody else. Okay. And so really we have lots of studies that have found that as much as we all like to believe that more money, better health, a longer life, you know, better job performance, Better relationships, more kids will lead to happiness. We know that none of that is true. We know that, for to a large extent, more success does not mean more happiness, right? So, you know, give you a couple examples of that. So, most of us certainly think that money is associated with happiness, and that's not true. If you make less than seventy-five thousand dollars a year, meaning you can't pay your basic necessities, yes, more dollars will mean essentially more comfort, um, and it will sort of enhance your subjective well-being. But after that, you start to experience the diminishing marginal utility of the dollar, which means you get less happiness for every, you know, additional buck that you earn. Um, most of us think that, you know, as we get older, you know, we're going to become more and more grumpy, right? Well, that also is a myth. Actually, as you get older, you become happier, believe it or not. Uh, and that's because you experience fewer highs, but also fewer lows, but you trend upwards. You know, you know, we we, we, t- we tend to think that well, certainly, if nothing else, health is correlated with happiness. We know that's also not the case that objective health is not correlated with happiness, believe it or not. All of us would love to be healthy and remain healthy if we're healthy now. And that being said, no correlation. Uh, There is a correlation between subjective health and happiness. So meaning how you perceive your health actually is correlated with happiness. And then, of course, probably most relevant for the podcast here is that most of us think, well, probably maybe, you know, marriage will lead need to be happier, but we know that's not the case, that most people experience a small bump in their level of happiness as they get married, and then that honeymoon phase ends, and then they quickly slide back to their original baseline level, sometimes lower than that. Um, You know, kids, anybody who has kids knows that kids don't make you happier. You do love your kids, you don't wanna trade them in, in most cases, but with the first kid, you experience a small dip in your happiness, and with the second kid, you experience a statistically significant dip or decline, and your happiness and your baseline levels of happiness don't return to their original level until those kids leave the house. So if they're 18, 20, 40, 70, whatever it is. (laughs) So success doesn't lead to happiness. And that's probably the greatest myth and the greatest thing that most of us have a hard time digesting. The last thing I'll say about that is, you know, positive psychologists have come up with kind of a formula for happiness. And if you put together your most perfect, or ideal life. So you have just the right number of kids, however many that is for you, whether it's zero or 100, the perfect partner or partners that, you know, infinite money, you live as long as you want. All of that together only accounts for 10% of your overall happiness score or rating, right? 10%. Um, So objective conditions, circumstances do not lead to happiness.
0: Hmm. It is even hearing it, like having heard some of that research before, it's just it is so counterintuitive to what we are not even taught what we learn, what we just you know think on our own as a human will make us happy yeah. um, and I think that brings me to the question so like what does make us happy, how can we be happier, and then we can get into dating and happiness
2: yeah, um so I'll share this real quick, so just for those folks out there who still say well it doesn't mean. I don't want to be, I want to be happy, but I also want to be successful. I will say this, that if you can just put, not put the cart before the horse, but put the horse first and the horse is happiness, you'll find that you not only achieve and acquire and accomplish the greatest really gift in the world, which is happiness itself. It's the reason you strive for or want anything else is because you want to feel better as a result. If you can sort of prioritize happiness, you'll find that that also leads to increasing success in all areas of your life, right? So happy people make more money. 600000 dollars more over the course of their entire lifetime. They live six to seven years longer. They get married earlier, stay married longer, and are happier in all the relationships, whether they're married or not, right? Um, so, in all ways, happiness really enhances um, your success, or your you know chances and likelihood of success. What contributes to happiness? Well, the three ways of breaking it down is that sort of in the beginning of our sort of happiness journey, happiness is mostly what you do, right? So, to a large extent, we want to be doing as many happiness producing activities as possible. We know that gratitude is very helpful. Sometimes we call that the three blessings exercise. We know that optimism is very helpful. So, you know, really there's a scientific way of explaining optimism, but the basic idea is to tell a better feeling story based in truth about everybody and everything in your life, starting with yourself, Um, you know, and that leads to the second kind of thing, which is that happiness is kind of what you think, right? So it's the optimism piece, resilience, growth mindset. There's a lot there. Um, we also know that happiness has a lot to do with sort of who you surround yourself with, right? And so it's very difficult to be happy if you're surrounded by people that are unhappy, you know, or that are toxic, you know, or in other ways are just bra- you know, sort of dragging you down. Relationships are probably, from a positive psychology perspective, the most important factor that contributes to happy life. Um, and then ultimately, and this is where I sort of go further um, than the positive psychology research that exists out there, and that is, Happiness, we think, is you know, what you do, and then it's kind of who you spend time with, and it's what you think. But I would argue that at the deepest level, happiness is what you are, right? So happiness is what you are when you're not thinking. Like It's just so easy to get caught up in this idea that happiness is only a state of mind, but you often find how much work it is to always think in increasingly optimistic ways and how much work it is, especially now, to surround yourself with happy people. So it's largely a matter of being a state of being, not just a state of mind. And not just a lifestyle status,
1: hmm, so interesting. I mean, I feel like we are all so um, ingrained in America with this idea that like if you work hard enough at something, you can achieve something, and I've always thought of happiness as something I have to like chip away at, you know, like it's this thing to be tackled, much like school or work or fitness or any of the other things that you like populate your to do list with, but it's, um it's super interesting that that 10% number is so interesting to me. And some of these ways that we can incorporate, I don't know, happiness is like more of a practice rather than like a, a to do list. Um, yeah, super interesting. And so counterintuitive, I think to everything I've, I've understood about it. You know, from I don't even know, it's not like anyone ever sits down and teaches you how to become happy. But We all have some weird idea about it.
2: (laughs) Totally true. Well, it's interesting. You're right. Like there are, and I argue that there should be classes on happiness, just like there should be classes on love. There's, you know, classes on like, you know, um, how to self-soothe and and basic things, right? How to to maintain peace within yourself. Like it's just these things that are most important in life were never really taught. And so we learn them. And about them, from you know mainstream media, we learn them from parents, we learn them from teachers that who also haven't really studied any of this stuff or spent a whole lot of time thinking about it, right? And so it is a really valid and beautiful point that you make. There's a huge opportunity for us to experience more happiness, more peace, more love in our lives, um, and we can do it based on learning from some of the brightest and most brilliant minds in the world. You know, we don't have to take a long, scenic, painful path to happiness or to love.
0: Yeah, no, and I I love the, to both of your points. Just like it, having it be a practice as well that we're taught and genuinely, we did in my happiness course because I can't stop talking about it ever. Um, we did a lot of exercises. So each week we had an assignment, things around gratitude. Probably the exercise you mentioned, blinking. But my the biggest memory for me was a a six hour digital detox, which sounds so sad, but I. I had friends in the class, and we spent that time together without any screens or phones, and it was just eye-opening, which again is sad. Are there any exercises, especially you know, where with 2020 being the way it is, that you would recommend as something for someone who's listening and like, I want to try to incorporate a practice? Is there like a, a beginner exercise you'd recommend?
2: Yes, so um, I'll give you three real quick ones, okay, so I'll try to summarize them succinctly. No, it's great. Um, one is creating a happiness items list. So a happiness islands list are things that very easily, effortlessly uplift you, inspire you, make you feel happy to be alive, okay? You should be scheduling more of those things into your life. Um, Sometimes to get there, you have to identify your happiness valleys list. Those are things that no matter how hard you try, you just don't enjoy. Sometimes there are people on that list, right? So you wanna do everything you can to like outsource, delegate, reduce, eliminate everything on your happiness valleys list. Get it off your plate, that's number one. The second thing is, you know, sort of when it comes to the happiness is a state of mind perspective, the idea is there is to lean into positive intelligence. Positive intelligence isn't just thinking positively, it's really about thinking constructively. And so instead of vetting your thoughts or ideas based on whether or not they're true, vet them based on that, but vet them also based on whether or not they're constructive, whether or not they're helpful and supportive, right? Like, if you want to live a happy life, it's impossible to live a happy life if you are always focused on the unhappiest things in life, right? It's like the same thing with a relationship. It's impossible to really enjoy your relationship if you're focused on everything in your relationship that you don't enjoy. (laughs) It seems so obvious, but it's like, you know, the law of flotation wasn't discovered by the contemplation of the sinking of things. It just doesn't work that way, right? So the third sort of tip and trick is the one I love the most, because it's so simple and most people overlook it because of its simplicity but simple is powerful. And it's called a micro meditation. A micro meditation is just one breath. You know, the first time I ever did or took a meditation class, I thought I was having a panic attack. It was really horrific. And uh, I was like, man, an hour feels like way too long for me. Apparently I'm the worst meditator on the planet. So I started with like five minutes and that still felt too long. So I decided on one breath. I knew I could do one breath with the only goal being to enjoy that breath and let all my thoughts go. So you breathe from the stomach, in and out through the nose, you let all your thoughts go, and you and the only goal that you have with that one breath is to enjoy it like it's the last breath you'll ever take on the planet, okay? And you can take that one breath no matter what you're doing throughout the day. You're swiffering, listening to somebody very boring, but if you practice this one micro meditation technique as often throughout the day as you remember, between 21 and 66 days, you literally rewire your brain for a healthier, happier, and more peaceful experience of life and of other people and of yourself. Um, The sad thing is that most people don't believe that, so they don't do it, but understandable.
0: No, I I love that. I'm not a good meditator. I've tried. I've tried Headspace. I've I've tried the baby steps, and I really like that because one deep breath can, when I actually pause and breathe, again, sounds cheesy, sounds like something I could easily write off, but I feel better or just especially when I have a lot of anxiety. I feel like taking one deep breath can totally help me reset
1: um, in certain moments. So I love that. Yeah. And it's wild how often you realize like something as small as that, I'll just go weeks or months without doing that. Like I just am used to not doing it. I'm used to being busy all the time. I'm used to being stressed as a baseline. Like so yeah, I'm to I want to start doing that. Maybe maybe we can start a challenge. We can do a yeah. uh, check in or something in the secret Facebook group. I want to do that for how long? What is what is the day range again? Something to sixty six?
2: Yeah, so it's about so um you know the field of neuroplasticity has basically found that it takes about twenty one to sixty six days to begin to rewire your brain for that new habit to be automatic. So it's effortless, right? So it takes some effort in the beginning, but it essentially and eventually becomes effortless. So yeah, just about, you know, a little less than one month up to about a little over two months. That's so cool.
1: Um, Here I am. Amazing, yeah. I feel like, oh, inspired. Okay, so uh, just to briefly or, or non-briefly touch on uh, on how this relates to some dating stuff. Like I feel like lots of people, potentially more more so speaking heteronormatively, more women than men, have been ingrained with this idea that the right relationship will make us happy. And if we don't find it, we won't be happy. And if we find ourselves in a relationship, I think sometimes we feel pressured to uh, tell us, tell ourselves stories that we're happier than maybe we are except treatment. Maybe we don't want I'm not even saying obviously I'm not talking about abusive treatment or anything like super nefarious. I'm talking about just finding a partner that's imperfect and telling ourselves that they're perfect because we think that relationship equals happiness. So you're, what you're saying, of course, is that like, that's not the case. We talk about that all the time. Sorry. I'm, I'm giving the longest preamble to a question. I, promise. I, love, okay. it. I, I love, love context. context. <laughs> it's I love a, context. a lot. Um What do you think, how do you think people can bring happiness into the process of finding a partner, into the process of dating, of going on first dates, something that so many people find stressful? Do you have any thoughts on how that process can be a happy one?
2: Oh, so many. (laughs) uh, You know, look, number one is enjoy it. Just, just enjoy it. Like, just enjoy Like, you know, we put so much pressure on ourselves and on each other to be the right thing or to show up in the right way. And as long as people are people, I promise they will disappoint you. And that is actually a really great thing. The worst thing that can happen to you in this life is that someone is perfect almost all the time and they therefore train you and coach you away from the very source of happiness and peace and self-love that exists within you. You know, so so that's the first thing is really enjoy the experience and be focused not on the fruits of your action but the action itself not on the results just the process itself if you can find ways to enjoy each moment of that dating experience more you'd be surprised at how much more quickly you find yourself in a happy healthy relationship so that's the first thing um you know the second thing is you know i don't like the idea of thinking of love as like an exclusive relationship we have with just one person sometimes that's the way it shows up but you know i think of love as a the inclusive way that we have relating to everybody and everything in the whole world, you know? And so you wanna begin practicing being loving and relating to people in loving ways, whether or not you're in a relationship or not. Like that's just so critical. If you don't practice, how can you be good at anything? So I would say that's the sort of second tip and trick really is to learn and start with yourself, you know? So, so many of us try to learn how to be in a relationship once we're already in a relationship, But that's like learning how to swim once you're already stuck in the ocean in the middle of a storm or something, you know, you're much better off practicing, you know, self loving, self soothing um, kinds of habits, when you're alone, when you're by yourself, you know, and so much of this love thing becomes a dyslexic search for happiness, really, you know, it's like we look for and we outsource our peace and our love and our happiness in other people, you know, we delegate it to them. And then we say, why aren't they, you know, making us feel the way we want to feel? And so that's really dangerous. We don't want to do that. We don't want to give our power away. Instead, we want to be as happy as humanly possible without a partner. And we will therefore, I promise, based on lots of research, you're going to more quickly and effectively attract a partner, you know, and the partner that's right for you. But when you're coming from a deep sort of needy, desperate place, that emotional contagion, it just has ripple effects that you don't always or aren't always aware of. That's so why I'd say those are the top two or three um, tips and tricks. It's really just important to be enjoy your own aloneness so that you can eventually enjoy togetherness with someone else. But if you can't enjoy your, your own company, how can anybody else? <laughs> I,
0: it's, yeah, it's so real. And I'm so grateful that you just confirmed what we like to preach on this podcast without any scientific basis. So thank you. No. <laughs> but I think, you know, even the, when we started this podcast, I had defined a lot of myself by not being in a serious relationship for so long and like, was I lovable? And it is incredible what therapy and other just getting a little happier with myself did for my ability to be in a relationship. So I think that's all super relevant and um, great. Like uh, I don't even know if it's a reminder. Cause I don't think we all think about how important it is to be alone enough you, yet. We're always so screaming right. it, but yeah,
2: you're so right about that. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think the challenge and the opportunity with the world is that there are so many cliches that we're all familiar with. And because they're cliches, we never really think about them in a deeper, like, from an objective perspective. And so, you know, cliches become cliches for a reason. So as much as we like to say, it's just a cliche, often there's a lot of truth in cliches. Um, You know, and so uh, here's a little bit of science to back that up. So, you know, they've done tons of studies and they basically found that happiness is attractive. And that's the main thing I'm really wanting to sort of emphasize, that happiness is attractive. It's attractive when it comes to success, when it comes to money, when it comes to relationships, even when it comes to health. Okay, so if you want or care about improving your life, getting happy without or before you improve your life is going to be very, it's going to be the laziest, smartest thing you can sort of do in that respect. Right. And so they found that. When you get happy or when you have a happy moment, even you're rated as more attractive, you're you're actually rated as more attractive. So they'll show people a picture of you with not smiling, a picture of you with a Duchenne smile, which is an authentic smile, one that you cannot fake. It activates like 300 some muscles in your face. And they ask people, which is the more attractive person? And they'll always say the one that you're where you're smiling. So it's literally and figuratively attractive to be happy. Um, <laughs> and it's really hard to be in a happy relationship if you're not happy yourself.
0: Yeah, I love it. I, and I love the science. I just keep saying <laughs> like, it's so nice to... Have that you know backing to it as well. Um,
2: it, it is Kimmy, and it's like you know, it's sort of sad we don't know more about it. And I did not interrupt you.
0: Oh no, I I no I go continue. You did not interrupt.
2: There, there's one thing I wanted to say, and I wanted to come back to a point you guys made earlier, which I thought was fantastic, and that is you know, I began I think like most people wanting to be happy because you know it feels good to feel good, you know, and then later I found out that feeling good is good for you. But then I also found out that feeling good also makes you a good or a better person, right? So a lot of us try to like do it the other way around. But interestingly enough, happy people are more generous and charitable than unhappy people. They donate more blood and they give more money, right? To like all kinds of different organizations and and causes. And so, you know, and, 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 and the more you do that, the actually happier that makes you. And so there's an upward spiral in terms of like happiness and generosity, or kindness, right? So if you're really wanting to be kind and you're also wanting to attract a kind partner, the best thing you can do is sort of bet for happiness, right? Because it's the one sure sign. And because, and with happiness, there's no expectation of reciprocity. So when most people or lots of people are kind, but they're unhappy, there's an expectation of like quid pro quo, like of reciprocity. And so they give with strings attached. And that's why you get into all these messes inside of relationships. But when a person's happy and they're giving from their overflow, then they don't need, you know, and they might like it, but they don't necessarily need you to give it back to them right away. They can still, you know, be happy with you, despite, you know, uh, you're not always being perfect, you know, in response.
1: That's such a great, yeah, that's such a great thing to hear. I, the idea of giving from your overflow is so, like, there's something so, um, that hit me so intensely. Because I I do feel like it's so easy to get, uh you know, have your levels just dip to a point where you don't have anything to give. And it's that like oxygen mask, put, put your o- oxygen mask on first before helping those around you. And the, the pressure I feel a lot of times to be constantly like giving to others has gotten me down so much. And I think it's, yeah, it's so important to be able to recognize those things. I think that's something I've only been able to really recognize in my 30s is like when I have overflow and when I don't have overflow.
2: <laughs> totally. I mean, I remember that was part of what was leading me to become so depressed. Was like, I was like, well, you know, I was raised with this like, you know, sort of Christian, Protestant, like Judeo-Christian ethic What you know, you give, and you give even when you can't give, you give. And I have an incredibly self-sacrificing mom, and she's always been so great about that. But I would do that, and I'd be like, man, this mofo, they're not giving back. And I just feel like I'm not being, you know, appreciated. What's going on here? And I'm not getting happier. That's for sure. I'm just becoming more and more broke. And So yeah, it's an important um, thing to remember, you know, and again, it sounds like such a cliche to say, you know, you can't give what you don't have, Um, but it's true. You know, we have to keep that bucket full. And sometimes that means the best thing you can do is love somebody from a distance, or it means you have to hold on to whatever you've got, whether it's time or money or energy until you're feeling, you know, more abundant.
0: I love that. And what a perfect note to wrap up on, though I could talk about this truly forever. Rob, thank you so much for being here and for this conversation. Uh, where can people find you? Because I know everyone wants to wants more of this.
2: You all are such a gift, and I mean that. Like you're so full of love and light. And I really appreciate you having me on. Like I live through these conversations. Um, so thank you so much. Um, yeah, folks are interested, they can find me at my website at coachrobmack.com. You can find my book, Happiness from the Inside Out, everywhere great books are sold, including Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And you can find me on all social media platforms, particularly Instagram at Rob Mac, Mack, official.
0: Awesome. And we Amazing. will link all of those below as always. Rob, this was so great. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. It's been so inspiring. I, everyone, I know everyone's going to love this conversation. I, I feel uh, revved up and <laughs> really, really enlightened so thank you so much
2: truly my pleasure privilege thank you.